Hello, good morning, everybody, and welcome to First City. My name is Taryn Howland. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I want to say a big welcome to everybody online that's joining us. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad to have you with us, and welcome to all of our first-time guests because it's difficult to come to a church for the first time. We are so glad that you are here with us. We are at the very end of a series called You Asked For It, and these are questions that you asked for. We sent this out, you filled it out, it's just that simple. You asked these questions and we are answering some of them. We've narrowed this down. So the good news is if you don't like what I'm talking about, it's your fault, okay? It's not, you can't blame me. I mean, it's, it's, this is on you. So uh, in the question, so this is the last week. Next week, we'll start a uh, semester or a series on parables. And so this is the last week and here is my question for this last week. What role does free will play in our lives and then why would God allow Adam and Eve to fall to sin if he loves us and wants us to live perfect lives? This is what they wrote on the card. And I just want to say, whoever wrote this card, thanks a lot. Okay, they, come on. Like, this is, you want to talk about a difficult question to answer. We got 30 minutes. We're going to get this one done. No way. Uh, this is one of those questions you can't really answer in 30 minutes because people have studied this for 30 years and still don't have a definite concrete. They're still, it's still very debatable. And so... I'm prefacing this because I want you to know at the end of this message, it's not going to be like, well, now I've got it all figured out. Understand free will and evil and God and the Bible and everything together. It's, it's not going to work that way. But I'm hoping to make this a little clearer to you and give you something to talk about if this is a question that somebody brings up to you. But before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray together. If you'll bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for every person who is listening, whether they're in this room or online, God, and I pray that this message is from you and not from me, that my words would fall short and your words would ring true, and that ultimately through it all, you would be brought glory, the glory that you deserve. Thank you for all that we have. Thank you most of all for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So this question is a, a little faulted in a couple of ways, not to critique your question, whoever wrote this, but it's a little faulted in that it, you're kind of asking a lot of questions here. And so I wanted, to, I wanted to fix the question a little bit, but before I fix it, I say fix it, but uh, before I fix it, I, I have to point out some of the things that they are assuming in this question that are not assumed by everybody, okay? So the first thing I, I'm, we're assuming is that uh, we have free will. What role does free will play in our lives? And I'm going to tell you, there are people who have studied the Bible way longer than I've been alive who would tell you, you don't have free will. And so uh, this, is a, this is a highly debated thing. I'm, I'm just telling you, I personally, where I stand, and we can disagree on this. This is okay. As, you know, as long as we agree on really, this is what I call a more minor theological thing. There's the major ones like Jesus is Lord. He's the son of God. He came and lived a perfect life, died for us, right? This is a minor one. And so this one, I'd say... I believe we do have free will, but it's in kind of context. So let me, let me explain this. I'll look at a, just a couple of verses. This is what they assume. The first verse I want to look at are a set of verses from Acts 2, uh, 36 through 38. So this is after Jesus, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. The apostles were waiting on him uh, or waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And then this is when they begin speaking in tongues, and they're going out and speaking to people. Peter, these are the words of Peter, and he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Which that, I just got to say, that's the perfect response. When you realize your sin, what, what do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I could have picked out many, many different verses because all I'm really trying to point out is we have this word repent. We have the opportunity to repent. So there is some free will in this that I, I, I really do believe that we can choose to repent. And what repent means, it's, it's not just saying like, I'm sorry, I messed up. It's really a turning away from a lifestyle. Like I'm headed down this path uh, away from God into sin, and then I turn and go back to God. And so anytime you see repent, it's a, it is a choice, I believe, that you can repent. And just to give you a, kind of another example of this from John 5, 39 through 40. And by the way, some of this is in your notes if you have the sermon notes in front of you. This is Jesus talking here. And he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, I should say to come to me, to have life. So Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here and saying, look, you're so worried about the the nitpicky things of the law and you study scripture so diligently because you're trying to find life in them. He's like, look, all of scripture really just points back to me anyways, but yet you refuse to come to me. So if you refuse something, then you, I'm assuming you had the choice to not refuse that thing too, right? Okay, so, so I, I agree with the first part of this question that we do I believe we do have free will, but I also think it's within context. So let me try to explain it this way. If you're out for a walk and you come up to a bridge, you can choose to cross that bridge or to not cross the bridge. What you cannot choose to do in your free will is to grow wings and fly across, right? You can't, you can't do that. Just like you cannot choose... Because this, it's not, it's within your nature. You cannot choose to make yourself holy or to make yourself sinless or to make yourself righteous. Those are only things that Jesus can do. And then you give your life to him and he does that. So you, we, we do have free will. And, and Americans especially get caught up on this because, look, we got July 4th coming up next week. And we're like, freedom, you know, and burgers and fireworks and bald eagles. Like, come on, we got free will. We can do whatever we want. You know, we're Americans. And I'm just going to tell you, you can't do whatever you want. You can't because there are things outside of your nature that you can't do. So you do have free will, but there are limits on that free will. Okay, this, we're, we're getting this question set up. I know you got to bear with me for a second. And then the next thing that this question assumes, because it said, why would God allow Adam and Eve to fall to sin if he loves us and wants us to live perfect lives. And I, I got to say, when, when they say Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were the first ones to sin, but I think you can really replace that with all of humanity. Why would God allow, you know, humanity to sin? So the next thing that we're assuming is that God allows evil, sin, calamity, whatever you want to call it. And I think this leads us to the bigger question. Because this is, a, this is something that, especially uh, if you're not a believer, and if you're not a believer and here with us today, first of all, we're so glad that you're here with us. But this is, a, this is a piece that especially atheists really have a hard time with. Because they'll say, how can God, because the God of the Bible, the Bible says that God is all-powerful and that God is all-good, 
How can there be evil? Either, and so that you come to this logical conclusion of either he's all-powerful but not all-good, so he's really powerful but he's really not that good because he doesn't stop evil, or he's not that powerful and he is all-good and he just can't stop the evil. It's not with, and, and I would argue that I believe that God does allow evil but is all-powerful and all-good. Now, and those are hard things in, in your mind. I mean, and I, hopefully I'm not losing anybody on this. These are hard things to justify and, and put together. And the, the deeper you dive into a question like this, the more questions you will have. I promise you that. You'll, you'll come out. Uh, so by the end of this, you may have a lot more questions. I love talking about this stuff. So you can come talk to me anytime. So does Rick. We just, we, we enjoy it. We're weird like that. So, but if you want to, come on, you can ask us. But if the biblical God is holy, all good, all powerful, sovereign, and completely loving, you know, how, how can this happen? How can we have this evil? And so I think the real question is, why doesn't God stop evil or stop the evil? Why doesn't God stop suffering and pain? And usually when we're asked this question, when Christians are asked this, we come up with some type of answer like, well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> and that's true. That's in the Bible. Or one of my favorite is uh, well, it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. It's like just our, that's our scapegoat because we don't really want to have to answer this question because it's really a difficult question and I don't really know what to get into it. And, and the, one of the things, though, to, the reason this is important is because 1 Peter 3.15 tells you that you need to have an answer. Be ready to answer for the reason that you have hope. Be ready to, to kind of argue your way and why you believe who Jesus is, why you have this hope of eternal life through Christ and this understanding. So this may seem like a question. Maybe you've never asked this. Maybe you've never thought it before. I feel like a lot of people have thought about this, but maybe not. But you need to be able to have at least somewhat of an answer. Again, I don't think you're going to answer this fully because this is, a, this is a big one, a tough one. But be able to have a response for this and for your faith. So, why doesn't God stop evil? I want to just first, so this is the question that we're going to really try and answer today. And I'm sorry if you wrote the question you're like, that's not what I meant because this is what I took that you meant. And so I changed it. But I love you anyways. Okay. But the, the evil, evil, what, what exactly is evil? So let's just kind of clarify this a little bit. And you can write this down. It's not in your notes. But I view evil, this, this is kind of Taryn's opinion that there's a natural evil. And this natural evil shows itself in death, decay. This is what the Bible really calls calamity. It's volcanic eruptions. It's, it's things in nature that happen that were not intended. Okay? So this is natural evil. And then there's this moral evil. And moral evil is inside of us. This is our sin. This is greed and lust. This is all the stuff that's inside of us that is just wrong. And then a third kind of evil is a supernatural. Now, this is a demonic. You know, and you, you may have a hard time with this or not believe this, but I'm going to tell you it's all throughout the New Testament, especially this demonic supernatural evil. Ephesians 6.20 talks about our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against these principalities. It's, it's against things you can't even see. And I think today it's still prevalent, and it shows itself in different ways, primarily in the way of trying to move people's eyes away from the one true God into fake religions, false religions. And so I, that's what I see primarily. So we have this natural evil, moral evil, and supernatural evil. 
Okay, so how do we answer this question? I'll tell you, I've got three answers for it. Why doesn't God stop evil? And none of them alone are sufficient, and maybe all of them together might not be sufficient, but we're just going to walk together through this and try to explore it, okay? So the first one, you have this in your notes. Why doesn't God stop the evil? Number one, because you can't have free will without evil. You can't have free will without evil. And I think I would argue also that you can't have love without free will. So I have many kids, and you may know this already. I have many kids, and one of the the joys of my day, especially a work day, is when I come home and I get to see my kids. It's an exciting time, and always, because I just have so many, somebody's at the door like, Dad, and they're, you know, so excited and run up and give me a hug and, you know, just one of the highlights. But then, you know, they come hug me and embrace, and it's this wonderful time, and they're so excited. But then sometimes one of my kids is mad at me. I know you're surprised, Taryn, the perfect father, right? That's a lie. Um, But, you know, one of my kids is mad at me, or they're mad at their mom, or they're just mad because, you know, they're human, and they just, they're having a bad day. And now what I can do is I can go in there and make them give me a hug. I, like, I can. Like, if that's what I wanted, I could, like, I'm bigger than them. I can do this. Like, I can, I mean, I better catch some of them, but they're pretty fast. But, I, you know, I, I can make them give me a hug, and they can very reluctantly, like, oh, you know, you know with that preteen angst, especially, oh, goodness, that just drives me crazy. But, yeah, they, 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 I can make them do that, but that's not really love, right? You can't, you can't force somebody to love you. And I, God did not make robots, He gave us free will because he wants us to choose him. But also in the choosing him, we see how much God really loves us. You see, whenever you realize the depths of your sin and just how sinful you really are, whenever you can begin to understand that, you really realize how much God loves you. Because God came and rescued you, and the Bible says in the middle of your sin, Jesus still died for you. He still went to the cross for you. Like, that's the good news of the gospel, is that, and the more you know your sin, the more you understand it, the more that grows. You, and you can see God loves you, and you, it makes less sense. Honestly, you think, why does God love me so much? I see how sinful I really am. And you're just more grateful for it. There's a great story in the Bible about this. From Luke chapter 7, if you want to open your Bibles up there. Or you can follow along in the notes. And we're going to read all of it. There's, there's quite a bit here. But uh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went, or he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. We're in verse 36 there and 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, I imagine, if, I mean, the lady is weeping. That I imagine this lady is, like, making a scene, you know, just an ugly cry and snot and everything. Like it's, it's rough, and she, is, she really is just kind of going all out here. And the Pharisee that's there that invited Jesus notices this. When the Pharisee who had invited him, so invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. 
See, many people think that she was a prostitute. That's the idea that you get from this passage. She's a prostitute. And, and, and Jesus answered him. I love that he said it to himself, but Jesus answered him. So Jesus just knew what was going on. Simon, I have something to tell you. So Simon's the Pharisee. Tell me, teacher, he said. And then he goes into this little mini parable right here. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I suppose. I guess. Uh, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he torn, turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Okay, so this is, this is key right here. Her many sins. We're all acknowledging she's a very sinful person. They've been forgiven, and she's showing in response to that great love. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Now this, this story isn't meant to say that some people are really bad sinners and then some people are not very bad sinners. What I believe Jesus was really trying to show to this Pharisee is you're just as rotten as she is. You're just as sinful as she is. You just don't understand your sinfulness. You think you're holy. You think you're righteous. And so how does this play into this? The, the lady could see her sinfulness and see Jesus' goodness and holiness. And in light of that, had this great love for Jesus, which we should all have. We should, we should look at Jesus as our standard of living. This was the perfect person to have ever lived. So that's the standard. See how short we fall of that. And in turn, love because he loves us in the middle of that. He loves us, you know, no matter what, no matter what the condition is. Okay, so number two, number two. Why doesn't God stop the evil? If God stopped evil, he would be stopping us. If God stopped evil, he would be stopping us. I want to just read these two verses to you. Now ask about him. Now the earth, this is from Genesis 6, 11 through 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Okay, what happens after this? Anybody know? The flood. Oh, it's one of the teenagers. Way to go, teenagers. All right. Uh, the flood. Okay, so when the whole earth is corrupt, what happens next? Everybody gets wiped out. You know, they've estimated how many people they think lived during the flood, and we don't, we don't really know because, you know, people lived to like 900 years old. I mean, how many kids did you have? They probably had about as many kids as I do, right? But, but you know, that, I mean, they could have had a lot of kids, and so we don't really know the population, but we're assuming that in this that millions of people drown. I mean, this is, y'all, that's crazy to think about. And of those millions of people, eight survived. Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives. That's it. That's all we hear about. And you, you can hear that, and then you, you kind of have the other perspective of, well, maybe, why would God do that? Like, what is God doing? See, 
killing people, innocent people. It's like, no, no, he's, he's atoning here for their evil. And this is where we really have the problem is because we, we flip-flop. And, and we really look at other people's evil and we think, I wish God would stop that. But we don't want God to stop us, right? Okay, so think through this. Just imagine you're out for a walk again. You don't see a bridge this time. Okay, this one's a little crazier of a walk. You walk by a playground. And on the playground, and I'm going to assume you're an adult in this, or at least old enough to intervene, but you walk by a playground, and you see three kids on the playground, and two of them are like fourth and fifth grade, so they're a little older, sixth grade, whatever we can, and then one of them is like kindergarten and first grade, but the two older are beating up the kindergarten first grader. I mean, not just like awful, like they're on the ground, there's blood, it's awful, awful, awful. And you are walking by and you see this and you say, that's really too bad. And then you keep walking. Who's evil in that story? Right? You are. Because you didn't intervene. And see, we get this so mixed up sometimes because we really want God to intervene at times. Like, what, what is God doing? Why is he being so slow to intervene on this? Doesn't he know what's going on? Doesn't he see this? But then we don't want, you know, we, we, we do want God to intervene at times, and then we don't want him to at times. And the problem really is just with the way that we view things. See, we have, we, we view things from a finite perspective. We are not infinite like God is. God is outside of space and time, and so he can see how one thing affects the next thing. A thousand years later affects the next thing. And so we are finite. We see what's right in front of us, and we can look at something that happens and say, I cannot believe that would happen. I can't believe God would allow that, and we just don't understand the whole concept of this. And so we miss it. And then we begin to judge God because we think he should intervene here, and he shouldn't intervene here and really, our response should just be, I don't know, God, you're, you're in charge. You created it all, right? And, but the thing to focus on for this is what would God be stopping in us? Because the truth is, if God were to really intervene on all evil right now, there would be another flood. But praise God that Jesus went on our behalf. And so his wrath came on Jesus instead on all, all of us, right, as we accept Jesus. Okay, so I know this is, there's, a, there's a lot to take in here. Do we need to like, take a breather before we get to the next one? No. We'll move on. We'll move on. Okay, so the last one, last one. Uh, why, does, why does God not stop evil? And the last one is to reveal God's glory. Now, I'm going to tell you, this one I understand the least, but it's the clearest one that I can see in the Bible. I'll just be honest with you. I don't have it all figured out. I understand this one the least, but it's the clearest one. In Romans 9, Paul talks about this so specifically. I, I want us to just kind of read it slow and take in the words of it because it's, it's so good. So this is in Paul's letter, and he says, Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created... Say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? 
In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, or his wrath, as some versions will say, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction. Okay, so Paul just said, God has a right to show his wrath on people who are destined for destruction right now. But he's, he's waiting. There's a, there's a delay here. And then he, it's like, well, why does he do this? And in verse 23, he just answers it out. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. God withholds his wrath, doesn't stop evil for his own glory. You say, Taryn, I don't really understand that. I'd say, I don't really understand all that either. But I'm just telling you what it says. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just bringing it to you. God's glory is going to be revealed. And, and it's the, really the same as the woman who loved Jesus and, you know, is weeping, crying, making a mess. The more we see how evil and how messed up our world is and ourselves are, the more holy and glorious we realize how God is. And we, we, you really get to a point, the more you get to know God, the more you just say, God, I am so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. I, I, don't know, I don't know why you chose to save me because I, I don't deserve it. I don't, there's, there are things about this that just don't make sense. I mess up all the time. I repent, and then I go right back to what I did, and then I repent again, and I go right back to what I did. And God, why did you choose to save me? And I, I think this is just something. It, it, it's because of his great love for you. But it's like, why do you even love me this much? But it's, he's revealing his glory. It's how great God is. It's not about how, anytime you get mixed up on how good we are, how much we have it figured out, even, even if you're reading this, this, this line has always bothered me a little bit. Whenever Paul says, you know, he's talking about God being the potter and we're the clay, and we have this idea that we're walking around trying to tell other pieces of clay about who the potter is. Like, that's crazy, right? But he says, doesn't God have the right to make some for decoration and some to throw garbage into? And I get a little offended, like, you can throw garbage into me. And if you get offended by that, it's because you think you're too good. Really. Like, the, like God doesn't get to do that because, because I'm so wonderful or something. You know? And, and it's like, well, hey, God made you in the first place. He, he, he does get to decide. And this is a hard thing to, to recognize and to, to kind of battle with in your minds. And so the, the point that I'm landing on for this, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't really answer the question. So I told you this at the beginning, making it clear to you, but this is, my, this is my thing to walk away with, is that God is unfair. And that may sound a little strange to you, so let me explain that. But God is unfair. I have uh, one of my kids, and I won't say who it is, because I don't like to, it is a, it's a guy, because I'm going to say he a lot, so you'll hear that, but, but I, I still, that's, uh, there's still a bunch of them. But one of my kids always has this argument. I mean, just when anything doesn't go his way, and he's, he's kind of growing out of it, but not really. I mean, you know, you just got to walk kids through it, right? But he, he will argue and say, it's so unfair. Life isn't fair. When something happens, you know, one of his, somebody older gets to go do something. He's like, it's so unfair. Oh, woe is me. You know, he's got this whole thing. I'm like, give, give it a break. Come on, go away. And last, last couple of times he said this, I say, you don't want it to be fair. You don't even want life to be fair. 
because if life is fair, it's like, look, you get to, you get, you never have to worry about where food's coming from. You've got both mom and dad at home. You live in a house. You have a bed. We live in the United States of America. Freedom, eagles, right? Okay, like we, we, you don't want life to be fair. Because life being fair, you go and talk, please go and say this to somebody who's in a third world country who, you know, like, come on, you don't want life to be fair. You have it too good for that. And, and I'm going to say this is, this is the, what I'm talking about when I say God is unfair, is that we don't want fairness. Because fairness is another flood, like I said. We want mercy. Now, this does not mean that God is not just, because he is just. I, I, I found this quote. I, I, love, I don't even know who said it. I couldn't find the author of it, but I loved it. I thought it fit so well. And it says, God is just because he does not overlook sin, but he is not fair. It simply is not fair that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross on my behalf. It is not fair that he endured the rejection and wrath that should have been mine. It is not fair that I receive the grace of God. Because he transfers the guilt of humanity on the innocent shoulders of Jesus. But he is just because the punishment was given out and paid for. If God was fair, we would all receive what we've earned, death. Like, that's good. I mean, that's hard, that's hard to wrap your minds around. But this, it's true. God is unfair in the way that he shows us mercy when we don't deserve mercy and grace when we don't deserve grace. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The, co- the wages, so the cost of our sin is death. When you sin, the payment is death. So you, that's what it should be. But, we're glad to have that but in there, but Jesus... Right, But Jesus intervened, Jesus paid the price for us, and so we don't have to, to worry about that. Now, if you, if you want to go, go all the way back and, okay, so, but I'm still struggling with this, why does God allow evil? And if, if that's still something, I'm, I'm just telling you, God is sovereign, and there are things beyond our understanding. I pray that though through this message and through your understanding of this, my, my goal in this was not really to answer it even. My goal was to bring God glory because that's all I really can do, right? It's, it's just to point all of us back to him and say, look at how good he is. As, you're, as we're closing out today, I, wanna, I just want to address a couple of things. First of all, maybe today's the first time that you've heard this and, and you want to make a decision to give your life to the Lord. Or maybe, even if you have, maybe you're on a very different spectrum, you just have more questions that this has brought up. Either way, on, there's cards in the front of the pews uh, in front of you, the backs of the pews in front of you. Uh, fill one of those out. Drop it in the orange baskets as you leave. We would love to follow up with you if you have more questions and talk to you about it because this is just fun for us to do. We, we enjoy it. Uh, for those of you who have, you've, you've given your life to the Lord and you're like, okay, what do I do with this message? And I think the, the real message for you is just be grateful. I hope this is a reminder to you to how, for how good God is. And we should just say, thank you, God, for what you've done. As we close out in a time of prayer and worship, we're, we're going to move also into a time of communion that will be there as you're heading out. 
And this is a time that we remember this ultimate sacrifice. The, the most unfair thing that has ever happened is Jesus going to the cross to pay for our sin. And, and that's what we're remembering today during this time. So communion is a time of celebration, remembrance. There's the cup and the, the juice and the cracker, which represents Jesus' body and blood. And I want you to just use this as a time of reflection, too, as you're leaving. It's, it's a time to think. Thank God for what he's done and ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you weighing on my heart? What, what are you asking me to do with my life? Let's pray as we close out.